Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I hope your weekend was good, and it's nice to be back with you today. I just look forward to this, and Monday rolls around. I love Mondays, and here we are. We're going to have a wonderful day. Patrick Albany is going to join me in just a few minutes, and then Pastor David Miles will be coming in for uh, our regular segment with him, and then a whole hour with Ken Samples, theologian and philosopher from Reasons.org. You know how smart Ken is, and you can ask him anything, and he will uh, take on your questions. So while you think about it, over the next hour, start formulating what those questions might be and fax them over to me. Uh, listen to me. Text them over. I meant text. I said fax. I was making a fax joke earlier today, so that's in my brain. All right, text them over, 877-933-2484. Let me uh, compose myself and bring on Patrick. We've recently made some weekend programming changes here at Faith Radio. You can stay informed on when all our programs air by checking your local schedule at MyFaithRadio.com. Once you're on the main page, just click on the Schedule tab. There you'll see program listings and airtimes. And remember, you can listen to the podcast or previous shows anytime, also at MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks for listening to Faith Radio. All your hopes and dreams can be dashed with just one crazy wrong bounce off a rim. Okay, maybe it's not all your hopes and dreams. Just the dream of beating your office mates in the tournament bracket competition. But that's life. So many things are unpredictable, even fragile. That's why when you listen to Faith Radio, you find insights, conversations, and teaching based on solid, unchanging truth. It's truth you can build a life on and change the world with. It's a slam dunk. I know, that was bad. Connecting faith to life. Faith Radio. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. I'd unravel every riddle for any in the middle. All right, welcome to the show. Always uh, happy on Mondays to get things started with my friend Patrick Albanese from the great state of Iowa. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a good day. I'm putting the finishing touches on my 600-page book, The Magic of Brevity. <laughs> <laughs> it's very ambitious that you're going to try to two, write a book. Two volumes. Set. Two yeah. volumes. Yeah. Okay. My goal is to never write a book, and I must say right now I'm doing well. Uh, it's always nice. you got to keep that in check. Yeah. Yeah, you can't be tempted to get out paper and a pen and change things up. No. Are you having nice weather? Are you having, uh, oh, you know... Oh, it's sensational. It's pushing uh, 40s today, and I think we're 50s by the weekend, so we're not feeling like uh, winter is around anymore. Same here, and but I do want to go on the record that should it return, it will be my wife's fault. Why's that? As, well, this morning she just started putting all the winter stuff away, moving things over to the summer comforters. The humidifiers are gone. Winter decorations are done. I was like, you are really tempting fate here. That's, 
You just got jinxed. Yeah, this is as bad as washing the car on a sunny day <laughs> or asking for a rainstorm. So if it comes back, that's on her. Exactly. Well, it's good to hear that your voice sounds better. I know you were under the weather for a little bit. And nowadays when you're under the weather, uh, you get a little bit more nervous because when you have flu-like symptoms, you're wondering, huh, I wonder how much this coronavirus is going to spread around the country. I think John Piper offered something quite interesting uh, in an article he wrote, Four Biblical Realities to Help Christians Make Sense of It. Yeah, and uh, I did read it. And unfortunately, uh, even though he makes sense of it, he doesn't necessarily put you at ease. Uh, Would you say? You don't walk away from the article and say, I think I'll be okay. You go, well, yeah, he's kind of saying, look, this stuff does happen. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it's, 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 I think we all want to find, you know, like, oh, guess what? There's just no way the coronavirus can hit Minnesota for some reason. It just hates the cold weather, you know, that kind right. of thing. We're always looking for our own particular, you know, get out of jail free card. Like I should be okay because these things are scary. Mm-hmm. And he does talk about, you know, the scary nature of, uh, well, you know, the nature of sin, actually, I guess, if you boil it down to, we brought this on ourselves. And the fall of man. Uh, yeah. That brought disease, disasters, and death. Yes, to all of us. Yeah. And he also said, that was his first point, and the second point was God sometimes inflicts, inflicts sickness on his people as a mercy. Uh, yeah. It's a purifying thing and a, a rescuing judgment. It's not a condemnation. It's an act of mercy. It isn't. Do you, do you sometimes you say to yourself, I, you know, the older you get, you think, wow, I've avoided a lot of the uh, like major diseases, the occasional cold, the the flu. And, you know, you start to see people your age uh, passing away from various ailments. And you say so far, so good. And uh, you start to consider yourself one of the really fortunate ones. And, you know, if you if you live long enough, you get old enough, you could maybe run for president. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> the takeaway here. Yeah, you got to make it to eighty, I think. But you know, you you say, well, I I'm I'm so far been one of the very fortunate ones. Um, and it does happen that there's the occasional person that lives to be a ripe old age and goes to sleep one night and doesn't wake up the next day and they have a big smile on their face and you say, that would be my preferred method. Uh, but unfortunately, we have to deal with death and disease and all kinds of things. Yeah. Patrick, have you heard this story before? I know you have, where someone will go through a uh, difficulty, an illness, uh, uh, you know, a, a bone gets broken, something that's very inconvenient. They're in a cast or, you know, their foot has to be elevated for 10 weeks or they go through a cancer or something and they, and they say, mm-hmm. looking back, it was one of the more important things that's happened in my life. I've heard that so many times. I'm sure everybody has. Uh, And it it certainly focuses your attention on important things. It will definitely do that uh, because if you get a diagnosis like that and you wake up the next day and say, well, you know, uh, instead of spending my, you know, potentially only little remaining time, depending on how the treatment goes, uh, with my loved ones and, uh, you know, delving into the gospel to uh, get comfort from God's word, let's go check Twitter. <laughs> right. Uh, then you might have an imbalanced life. Uh, but I, I, certainly, I, yeah, do you ever have that? Just You could just get a really 
particularly uh, nasty cold and say, wow, I'm not as strong as I thought I was first. Because, uh, you know, when you're young, you say, if, I've, if I ever catch anything, I'm going to be one of those fighters. I'm going to fight it. And you start to realize that the, the human uh, will uh, is, is not as strong as you'd like it to be. That when you don't feel well, you, uh, hopefully you have a place to go for comfort. Mm-hmm. I think of what God did um, when he wiped out the entire earth, less eight people, with a flood. I mean, he does allow things to come into our world in form of a judgment. Yes. And that's that's a tough one to wrestle with. Um, I think for most people, I, 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 you know, I think one of the reasons why some people reject faith is they don't want to face that reality. Mm-hmm. I think they'd like to think they have some control over how all of this goes. And, uh, you know, I mean, you know, in a way, it's like you and I will get up in the mornings, right? And you go to the gym and you're trying to stay fit so that you can remain as healthy as long as possible. But in the back of your head, you say, this is a losing battle. You know, I'm I'm, I'm kicking the can down the road before I kick the bucket, so to speak. Right. Uh, and uh, but we have comfort knowing that uh, God's made promises to us. But that it, yeah, there are sometimes you'll have to deal with just the reality that sometimes God does a cleansing. Well, I love how Piper started this article out saying, Jesus has all knowledge and all authority over the natural and supernatural forces of this world. He knows exactly where the virus started and where it's going next. He has complete power to restrain it or not. And that's what's happening. Neither sin nor Satan nor sickness nor sabotage is stronger than Jesus. He never Backed, he's never backed into a corner. He's never forced to tolerate what he does not will. I would say God's mm-hmm. in control of all of this. Yes. And we are, are yeah. fortunate enough to live in, in the U.S. where we have the finest healthcare system in the world. Yeah, currently we sure do, you know, and hopefully we don't mess that up. But we, we do, and uh, we, we have recourse um, I, I think that uh, not just the finest healthcare system, but we have these amazing pharmaceutical companies that are often under fire from people because of their greed. And yet we turn to them and say, oh, thank you for ibuprofen. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, should a vaccine or some type of antibiotic or whatever, whatever it's going to take to uh, deal with the coronavirus uh, be developed in short order, it will, chances are, be developed right here in this country. Mm-hmm. And we'll say yet another gift from God. Of course. And I think his last point that Piper made, which I found interesting, is natural disasters are acts of divine mercy, calling all people everywhere to repent and trust Christ. So anything that comes into this world that gets people's attention in a new, fresh way and brings people to repentance and to place their trust in Christ is ultimately a good thing. And, and isn't that always the message? Uh, you know, it, it's a shame that sometimes it takes disasters for us to focus our attention on God. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I always find it fascinating that it seems like the more successful sometimes people become, the less they say, you know, I kind of did this one on my own. Right. <laughs> I'm not sure I need that big guy yeah. anymore. You know, I'll check in occasionally if I'm having a rough day. But yeah. You know, it's it's it makes you understand because I used to think when you'd read you know a biblical passage about you know it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle 
I thought, well, is this the Bible saying that that money is bad or success and wealth is bad? And it took me a long time to understand that the, the truth was that uh, it was when people become successful, they sometimes reject God. They do indeed. Let me take a little break. Patrick Albanese is my guest. We'll take a very short break. Be right back. back, and Patrick Albanese is my guest, and always uh, good to check up with him. As we head into the big week, Patrick, it looks like uh, Amy Klobuchar just backed out of the presidential race. And uh, Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete as well. The day before, the and Tom Steyer did the other day, but uh, the only people who noticed that were my kids on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were like, hey, we got my YouTube back. Tom Steyer's done. Uh, but yeah, I thought, why, why wouldn't you just wait another day or so and get through Super Tuesday? And, and I think there are various schools of thought on this, but it certainly seems like they're bowing out because Bernie's about to clobber, I think, Joe Biden in a whole bunch of these Super Tuesday states. And is this an effort to help Joe compete with Bernie by saying, hey, if anybody was going to vote for me, vote for Joe and trying to, you know, shuttle some of those uh, votes over Joe's way so that we have a real competitive race or were promises made, hey, I'll put you in my cabinet or it just it's I, I know my my wife wasn't a Mayor Pete fan in any way, shape or form. But when she heard the news, she said, it just feels like he just quit, like he ran 26 miles and at the point two mark said, you know, I just don't think I'm cut out for this marathon. Thing. Yeah. You go, well, it's there's the finish line right there. Yeah, you know, I think I'll just, it's like, well, why don't you just go the extra, you know, point two, finish this up, see what happens on Super Tuesday. And, yeah, nah, I'm done. So in, in I saw that reflected on social media today with a lot of people. He had, as you know, uh, he won Iowa, essentially. I had know. a lot of support here. A lot of disappointed people said, why didn't he wait another day or two? I, they just, they're scratching their heads. Well, it's got to be very strategic, Patrick, right? It's It's got to be. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm wondering if he's just jockeying for another position. Like Amy Klobuchar, you go, well, you know, tomorrow Minnesota obviously votes. And if, you know, Indiana doesn't. So I guess that would be Pete's home state. But for Amy Klobuchar, if you lose your home state, that could be embarrassing. So maybe she's trying to bow out before. It's like, wow, your own state doesn't like you. Well, okay. Uh, it's, um, I guess it's, we're thinning the herd. So I guess it really is going to boil down to uh, Dino Bernie and uh, Dino Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yep. I think it was an economist, Larry Kudlow, that said that the coronavirus won't tank the economy, but socialism will. Yes, I saw that. And I mean, I, I watched a, a couple of segments on the news last week about just how much a lot of Bernie's proposals are going to cost. And uh, you think, boy, that's a lot of money. I mean, they're getting toward $100 trillion. And he sort of just dismisses it and says, ah, it'll be paid for. 
You know, that's how I bought my first car, by the way, though, is not the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> Never buy a Lamborghini for your first car. You just don't take good care of it. Yeah, especially when you buy it in the winter and it's like your winter beater on, on top of everything. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, that's it's some of that uh, school of thought where it's like, well, act as if you're a multi-gajillionaire and then suddenly you will be. It's like, I don't think it really works no. that way. No, it really doesn't. Yeah, no. his his proposal, I don't know what theory he works off of. But, you know, they always say, say the most outrageous thing you can. It will, it will produce shock and awe. And then after a while, it'll be, oh, yeah, he wants to spend $100 trillion to fix the world. All right, let's vote for him. That seems like a pretty good deal. I mean, nobody else is offering, you know, a, a price tag. I just, I, I wonder if it boils down to it where if you say, okay, you vote for him and he's telling you that uh, if you're one of the 150 or 180 million people that have a private health insurance, that he's taken it away that it's gone and that you're going to go on a government program and you're going to love it and I'm going to raise your taxes a lot. Uh, there was uh, He was talking about the death tax and in some instances raising that to like 70%. So after you've paid your taxes your whole life and managed to hang on to a few bucks, uh, should you pass away, he wants three quarters of it. And I think aren't a lot of people going to look at some of these and say, you know, I think we can survive four more years of Donald Trump until they offer up somebody else in 2024 that's a little bit more reasonable. But taking away my health insurance and raising my taxes and having me pay for anybody who walks across the border to get free college and free health care. Boy, I don't know. That just doesn't seem like it's very tenable. Uh, so I don't know what people will do in the privacy of the voting booth. I know what they did four years ago and it shocked everybody. So uh, I, I suppose it could happen again, but I, I don't know how they're going to moderate these positions come November. Yeah, I don't either. And I'm so aware that God calls us to care for the stranger and the person who is alienated and the refugees. And I look at the way the Good Samaritan took care of the person by the side of the road. I don't know if it's more government programs. I, I think we have to figure out as the church how to be more involved in solving some of these humanitarian problems. Yeah, I believe so. I, I saw a couple of articles today where they dug up some old uh, Bernie Sanders quotes and how he feels about private charity, and he doesn't like it. He thinks government should be in charge of all of these things. And I think it's great that we have some government programs to help people out. But I love the fact that uh, churches do a tremendous outreach. I mean, the things I see my church do— uh, the meals that they provide for people, the amount of good that they do, it makes you feel really wonderful to be part of that church. And then you realize that uh, uh, in, in a way, you're part of that body that's helping people, whether you come and volunteer for some of the events or whether you're donating money or food, because we do so many food drives. You say, I, I like that. I, I, I love this sense of community the church has towards its community. It says, we've got to take care of our people here. Mm -hmm. This is our, this is our responsibility. This is our duty. Don't sit around and wait for government to do it. This is what we do. And I, I just think that's a nice, not only a nice feeling, but I think that's kind of the way God would like us to do it. I agree. And the Samaritan used his own money to help the wounded man. And he didn't, he didn't demand that the innkeeper subsidize the recovery. No, he just said, this man needs help. Let me, and, and I can provide it. So I will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty. Uh, 
it seems to be a lot easier just to hope that somebody else will take care of these problems. But uh, I believe God gave us eyes to see. I says, come on, <laughs> why don't you get on this? You know, right there. And, and you can do so much in, right in your own backyard, although I wouldn't invite a lot of people to my backyard because it's pretty small. But you know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about, but you have a nice backyard. I do have a nice backyard. Do you have any snow left on the ground in your backyard? A couple of piles. Okay. Uh, I have to bring it in occasionally, put it in the freezer so that so it doesn't melt too fast. Yeah, well, my fear is if it's all gone, then we're going to get a big storm. I just want to remind our look on the ground. <laughs> just a small reminder that I understand winter. It's still winter. Don't get my hopes up. Don't get my hopes up. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we're all uh, happier if we don't respond to... Uh, too big of a steady diet of news and also to not respond in a in a way that says God's not on the throne when we read some of the articles on the coronavirus and some of the other things that are happening around the world. I always have to remind myself God is on the throne and he is in charge. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're passengers on the bus. Yeah. And we occasionally get to say to the bus driver, hey, could you take a ride up there? And the bus driver will say, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> nope. I'm driving. Yeah. And uh, you know, not not only is ultimately God in charge, but I, I think he would prefer that we quit trying to take control. We just try to take control too much, don't we? Well, I think it's part of uh, how we're wired. I think we have this thing about, uh, about uh, self-sovereignty. We want to be the ones running our lives, and we think we can do it okay, but truth is we can't, and... When we ever, whenever we uh, reduce God in our lives, we suffer. So if we think yeah. we can go and do something on our own, we're really, really wrong, and we need to repent. I, I think it's funny how sometimes you'll hear people sort of lamenting, you know, what God has done to them, and then they sit back and say, don't worry, God, I'll fix it. I'll take care of this. It's like, I think you got that backwards. Yeah, it's I exactly believe. backwards. Yeah, you made the mess, and what you need is God's help to fix it. Yeah. You know? Not God didn't make the mess, and uh, you say, well, let me take control, and I can fix it. It's like, no, I think you got it backwards. Yep. You did it. Yeah, I agree. All right, Patrick, yeah. thanks so much for doing the show. Always good to chat with you, and have a great rest of the week. Well, thanks. And uh, by the way, if any of your uh, listeners do have a helpful tip for me, I'm trying to fix a leaky colander. So if they could just phone that into you or maybe text that in, but my calendar is leaking like a sieve. Yeah, well, I know they've got some of the tape. I see it on infomercials, and they pretty much, I think you can, you can tape put tape on up. that calendar and then put it in the lake. Perfect. Yeah, you can, yeah it's a boat now. It's, it's a boat. boat. <laughs> All right, have a great day. Thanks, you too. All right, Patrick Albanese has been my guest. We'll take a short break. Be right back.
And now it's time for the Monday Mix with Miles Arnold Maxwell. Without any cheap sound effects, sound effects, sound effects. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? 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 <laughs> Did you hear? Hear? David Miles is in studio, ladies echo, and gentlemen. Echo, echo. Boys and girls of all ages. We are here <laughs> for the Monday Mix. David, welcome. Hi, Bill. Nice to see you. Hi, Rebecca. Great to see you. Yeah. Great to see you, too. Afternoon so, mix. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's it that is. Monday mix. It's here not we morning. Go. No. Did I say morning? You didn't. Oh, good. No, that's one of the things that pastors do. It can be like midnight, or that would be morning, but it can be 7 o'clock. Good, good, good morning, everyone. People are like, no. <laughs> 7 p.m. and you're speaking. <laughs> All right, let me read something to you, David. This came off the Star Tribune website, and this was honoring... Um, Pastor Bob Merritt, who's the senior pastor at Eaglebrook Church, and they've grown it into, a, I think, nine campuses or so. But he's retiring, and he says, I've been running the race uh, so hard for so long that I'm going to need some time alone with God, time alone with my family. I'm going to need at least six months for my head to clear and my soul to restore, and then, and then trust that God's going to show me what's next. So he's 63, turning 63, and that seems like... Uh, what are we doing to pastors that we're, are we burning people out? I'm not saying he's burned out. I'm just saying. Right. I mean, you know, for the person who sometimes are like, hey, pastors, you know, they only work three hours a week. And it's like, um, no. Um, there, it, here's one of the huge things for under shepherds with the chief shepherd. It's an incredible privilege to be able to serve the Lord, to minister to his body, uh, to love people. Um, and you have pastors we're engaging in both the emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual welfare of our people. And so spiritual warfare is very real. It is, there is a grind to it. It's, it is um, nonstop. And um, sometimes pastors, including myself, could take better um, care of ourselves. You always, it's, it's, a, it's a place where when the day is done, there's always multiple things that you still could be doing and you feel that you need to do. So, um, you know, it takes wisdom uh, to be able to just stop and rest. And sometimes you don't because the weeks just kind of, they keep going. And so. So what could we say to all the pastors listening to encourage them today? Well, that you are definitely loved in Christ, that God has called you to this. Um, you know, one person once said, if you were called to pastor, don't stoop and be a king. I mean, you're, you're called to serve alongside the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and his purpose and mission um, to remind them that um, you're not crazy and you're not alone. Um, and, you know, your values, when you have biblical values, are going to be different than the world's values. And that your success is not based upon your church size or a number of different things that the world would say these are the markers of success, but just faithfulness to him. Mm-hmm. And what could be a couple things we could do to encourage our pastor? Definitely pray for him. Okay. I mean, like, and I don't mean that tritely. I mean, like, I prayer is just, it's such a huge thing. Um, and supporting um, your pastor, saying thank you, you know, that's a that's an encouraging thing. Because um, a lot of times you don't, people don't always see the, you know, myriad of things that happen. I remember um, I was talking with a, a leader and they're going through something right now. And I remember when I was in college, I used to walk into my senior pastor's study, and I was kind of like, I didn't understand, like, why why he looks so tired. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
It's like, oh, and as I got to know him and share, and then later on, as I had him as a seminary advisor and prof and, and just watched him faithfully serve our church for a number of years. But there's a number of things. And, I mean, you can go. It's an incredible um, joy, but you you can also go from the height of elation of hearing someone, you know, who's saved to, you know, just the of walking with someone through the depths of despair over the lost one or some other tragic thing. And it's for me, it's happened within just a couple of phone calls, you know, from one to the other. And so um, loving and supporting their family, realizing too, uh, as, I, as I've talked to different ministry leaders and things, um, their kids, their children too, mm-hmm. their, you know, uh, they're little, and actually, you know, when people have kids, you know, I would hold babies sometimes and pray over them and look at the parents and say, look at this cute bundle of unactuated sin, you know, cause just holding, <laughs> because they're going to and just, yeah. you know, they need Christ and they need encouragement as well. They're sinners. And I, you know, I no more expect your child to change my oil, oil on my car or to program my Apple computer than you should expect, you know, my child to be like a theologian or something. So um, but just loving and encouraging them and giving them safe space, you know, giving them places, uh, you know, just to be real and to, to live this walk. All right, here's an idea I want to play with a little bit. I found this out of a de- devotional, and it was uh, caught my attention. There was a uh, woman that had graduated from a gourmet cooking school and wanted to put her skill to the test. So she was at a physician's house, and she was sort of being the, uh, the, the cook, the chef, and she was presenting food um, to the guests. And these beautiful pieces of artful food on silver trays, and she brought them in and fed them to the guests, and they absolutely loved it. Little did the guests know that she was serving them dog food. But they were just so beautifully arranged with... Um, uh, the way it was created. Oh, my. And all they did was rave about it. And uh, you think, hmm, they just ate dog food. And I go, how often are people buying complete and utter nonsense from the enemy? Um, Besides nonstop. Yeah, regularly. Yeah. You know, as someone said, um, we buy things that we don't need with money that we don't have to impress people who don't care about us. And yeah. yet Christ has died for us. And the world, you know, the world, when we say that, cosmos in the Greek, the world system, that part that militates against God, wants us to find our value um, in this world and in the things that it gives. So, I mean, like, and that's where you can actually, Bill, see the conflict between, you know, a biblical worldview and the worldview of this, you know, present time, because, you know, this worldview says if you drive this car, wear these clothes, eat this type of food, not knowing it's dog food, you know, you have value and everyone's like raving. And over here, at no cost except to the Father, you have identity and value for free and you don't have to go to the Mall of America or you don't have to go to a car lot. And so those two worldviews are in opposition to each other. But I think, you know... um, I think how people are influenced, because, like, back in the days, there was bell bottoms. Ooh, no. And, like, if they come back, I'm not doing bell bottoms. I'm sorry. You know? I love the one-word fashion review. Uh, oh, no. No. <laughs> so, 
I mean, because, like, and I think, like, Rebecca, I, you know, I feel, because for the sisters, I mean, like, you guys, they, sometimes I think someone's, like, sitting in New York or someplace, and they're just cracking up laughing and saying, hey, we should try this fashion. Do you maybe, think they're going to actually wear that? Maybe they'll go along with this crazy thing. <laughs> That's bell bottoms. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so let's jump to Colossians 2.8, David and Rebecca. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So let's talk a little bit about false teaching and false teachers. They're all over the place. Yeah, there is. And I mean, like, I think we touched a little bit on this last week, even as we were reflecting upon uh, Pastor Matthew St. John's message from New Hope Mm -hmm. on love your enemies. And the fact that at that time when Jesus spoke those words in the Beatitude, the religious leaders were telling the people, it's okay to hate those people who aren't like you, you know? And so um, we we need uh, sound doctrine in Christ. We need our minds renewed in God because there is, you know, there's a lot of different things that can purport itself as being Christ-like that it's not. I mean, like even today, you know, today's time we have kind of a form of Christian nationalism that can mask as biblical Christianity when it's not, you know, and finds ourselves hating people that are technically image bearers. And if they're followers of Christ, they're our brothers and sisters. And so that's not squaring, though it might make a good sound bite and might have good background music as you introduce a new segment, but that's not, you know, biblical teaching, but it gets purported to be that way. And I think one of the things that is difficult, too, is to make sure that we're not being deceived as we move forward. I mean, the closest thing that I can think of is not to to believe that I will never be wrong, but to be steeped in the truth so that I know um, the lies when I see it. I've I've heard that said sometimes in comparison to counterfeit money, Mm -hmm. that the way that you know a counterfeit is that you know the original or the, the genuine article so well that you can see, you can start spotting pretty much immediately when there isn't, when something should be there that isn't, or isn't there that should be. And um, I don't know, David, maybe you can can sense some of the patterns that seem to be coming up about the lies that maybe people want to believe, but how is it that we still continue to be deceived when the truth is so easily accessible? I guess God's revealed himself in so many ways and wants to be known. And and yet people, sometimes it seems like, would rather believe the lie. Yeah, because, um, you know, like if we go back to James 1 and it talks about sin entering and, you know, the thoughts of, uh, of temptation. And it says, um, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so sometimes the things that we get lured and enticed with are things of our own desires, things that we're wanting. And then you couple that with what Warren Tribble called in-group, out-group dynamics, which we talked about last time. Like, if something's a part of your in-group, you're more likely to believe that and then if it's with someone of your outgroup. And so that's why I love putting things through uh, a principle of congruency, you know, where if, if you have a, you know, if you have one thing, you know, if you have a subject 
and, and a modifier. And if for the modifier and the subject, you say this is good, but if you change just the modifier of it, then you find yourself, this is horrible. Well, what's, what's changed except the thing that you feel enticed or desired to or the thing that you agree with that's a part of your in-group? And so that's one of the things that we have to wrestle with. And I know like sometimes in working with people and leaders and, and even things with like all people's ministry and, you know, what the Bible says about his people um, from every tribe, language, nation, and tongue, some people haven't grown up in that. I mean, like... For a long time, you had places like a Bob Jones University that taught, you know, this is our biblical stance against interracial marriage. Uh, first, race is not a biblical construct. It's a sociological construct. And you can't find the word race in the Bible to describe what you're describing. So you're already off there. But you'll talk to people, and one of the most difficult things that people will face is saying, I have people that I know, trust, and love, and they taught me things that weren't true. And so sometimes even the issue of the truth, truth is truth, but sometimes the wrestle is the person who taught you and your relationship, and that can be like a real mind-blowing thing. So even now, as we're seeing more and more stories of leadership and pastoral and various types of, uh, of, of abuse that happens and that it's becoming more and more in the news, one of the things that you'll see when the background stories is people say, well, was my faith real because that person taught me that? And this is who they were, you know, so they begin to question that. And they may even question the gospel, but the gospel is true, even despite this person not being faithful and true. Mm-hmm. Pastor David, Miles is my guest. And if you wrestled David in high school or college, I'm pretty sure you lost. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back. <laughs> show. Pastor David Miles is in studio. It's the Monday Mix with Miles Arnold and Maxwell. We're enjoying this as always. And David, you were digging for some burst during the break. Did you find it? Well, yeah, there's different passages, you know, that would be encouraging for people as you think of, you know, your your pastor. First uh, Thessalonians 5.11 says, therefore, encourage one another, build one another up just as you are doing. You know, um, you, as pastors, they love their, their flock, they, they love their people, and, and wanting to see them. Actually, but with the verse that you shared earlier before we started, um, Colossians 1, that Christ would be fully formed in us and that we'd present everyone mature in Christ. But other things, you know, uh, verse 12 of First Thessalonians 5 says, We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. That'd be so very neat to see people really strive to live at peace with one another uh, in the body. Um, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast 
what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And now may the peace of God himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and body and soul be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. I mean, like that's a really condensed section. Yeah. And I think if we, if we, you know, if we meditated on that, and I don't think that would just encourage like your pastor, it would encourage just the body of Christ. I think more importantly, it would encourage Christ, <laughs> you know, and allowing him to be formed in us. So I also like uh, Colossians 3 verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Very much. Yeah. I mean, like. Uh, The Emperor Trajan once remarked about the Christians uh, in the first century, and he said, oh, how the Christians love one another, you know, and is is that something that can be said today? I mean, it's it's what Jesus prayed for in John 17, you know, that, that we would be one as he and the Father is one so that the world would believe, and again, believe is used 56 times in the Gospel of John. It's a very important thing. Matter of fact, if you want to know the thesis, if you want to understand the purpose of John's gospel, go to John 20, verse 31, and it says, These things have been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and by believing in him have life, eternal life in his name. So Jesus says when we're one, the world actually believes of who he is, and then it also says that we would be one so that the world would know, you know, not just know about, but that they could visibly see that we are one. And so um, that peace part, Bill, that you're talking about is, is a big piece. I like it. All right. Let's jump around a little bit here, David, because it's always, you know, on Monday afternoon mix. You don't know what's in the mix, right? Well, we don't. You don't. You were talking about uh, Colossians 2 earlier. Uh, was I? You were. I thought it was Colossians 1 I was talking about earlier. Oh, oh Colossians 2.8. Yes. 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 Uh, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So, yeah, I like the uh, passage because when, um, when it says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. And actually, one of the things about this particular part of Colossians, this is kind of like the hinge, like verses, verses 6 and 7 that precedes it says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Like this section is like the hinge of, of, of this book. But I like to think of, of the, the empty and, and, um, you know, deceptive practices kind of like, um, you know, those little pink packets and, uh, we call them sweet and low. Mm-hmm. And like, what is sweet and low? It's got saccharin in it. And saccharin is something like, I don't know, 200 times sweeter than regular sugar. Now, this has not been, you know, proven in humans. But you remember on the box, it used to say, you know, warning, this this product is known, can be known or may, we'll use the subjunctive tense, may cause cancer in laboratory animals about its consumption. They hadn't, hadn't found that with humans. But the idea was there was a warning package. And you know, um, because it wasn't the real thing. And in the same way today, we can find ourselves accepting sweet and low arguments. They taste sweet, they taste good, but they're not the real thing. And so Paul in this passage is giving us a warning 
um, against that. And one of the key ways to do that is for us ourselves to be in God's Word. Um, there's a concern of the amount of, of biblical literacy that's happening um, today. Um, I don't remember the exact figure because Lifeway had did a Lifeway um, had did a survey poll on that, and I'm not exactly sure again the number of people, but some of the very core tenets of our faith, a number of people did not actually believe those. I wonder if it's is it just we're not spending as much time in the Word? Are we distracted with with other things? Why do you think that is? That even Christians, because I, I remember seeing that survey and a lot of it had to, they took a poll of people generally that, you know, not very many people know a lot of basic things about the Bible. And that's not great. But then they also took a poll of regular church attenders. And you would think that the literacy would be almost 100%. And it definitely wasn't. It was more like 50% didn't know or understand some kind of basic teachings. And so why do you think that is? Well, <sighs> Neil Postman wrote a book years ago called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And it actually talked about moving from more of a reading society to a technological society. And he, he makes a point of noticing that in the old Shakespearean, they would tell people to muse, which was to think. <clears throat> and A actually negates that. So literally, amusement means to not think. <laughs> and so we have a, a large society of just not, not um, thinking. And I think... We we're preoccupied with so many different things. The other thing that is, um, we're we have to be careful about cow cow cud Christianity, and what I mean that is, you know, cow will chew grass and they'll keep chewing it over and they'll swallow and spit it back up and then they're chewing it and chewing it and chewing it, and we have to be careful sometimes of not just having a Christianity that's just been you know chewed up by another person. And then spit out. So that goes back to your false teaching thing, Bill. And I think that's why, like, Acts 17, uh, 14 talks about the Bereans, how the Bereans searched the Scripture to make sure that what Paul was saying was in line and true. So I think biblical literacy, um, and and we've kind of gone to even, um, like, sound bites, you know, so, you know, people can read a passage and they'll say, well, I think this is what it says, and, and, and have not. They've looked at one verse and um, maybe turned it to what, what they like. Um, real brief on that. In the book, Reading, Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes, um, Randall O'Brien talks about how people can come to Scripture and they'll just fill in the gaps with what they understand it to be. And because the first century is so other than ours, we'll begin to say, oh, I'm reading this, and this is what I think it to be versus what it actually biblically was at that time. Well, that's been going going on for a long time, hasn't it, David, where you get together in a Bible study and you don't know much about God's Word, and you say, well, what do you, what do you think it says, or what do you think it means? Yeah, that's happened. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we can fall into, you know, hearing um, what our itching ears want to hear. Um, and I think sometimes we need humility in this. Uh, there was a guy named Johan uh, van Gothel. He said, none are more hopelessly lost um, than those who don't think that they actually are. You know, so 
even sometimes when people are talking about false teaching, they naturally think the line falls in front of their own feet. So, you know, all those people out there, they're the ones who didn't get it. You know, we got it. And, you know, history has shown that that hasn't always, you know, been the case because it was, quote, you know, biblical people that endorsed slavery. It was the evangelical church was on the sidelines during the civil rights movement. And much to my, like, sheer, like, oh, my goodness, um, a week ago had got a note um, that one of the, it's, it's called the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, and it's written by a guy named Gerhard Kittel, who was a German theologian. Well, Kittel was a huge uh, Nazi supporter, not just a sympathizer, but a supporter. And uh, some of the things that he even encouraged on the construction and the formation of stuff that led to the death of Jews as a New Testament scholar. And Kittle's thing is in my Lagos program. And so so that's, uh, that's a very sobering. David, always great to have you in studio. David... Uh... Miles has been my guest, and that's part of the Monday Mix with uh, Miles Arnold Maxwell. It's been fun, as always. It is. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for being here. God bless everybody. Yeah, thanks. All right, we'll take a little break. We'll be back. Hour two is going to be Ken Samples, philosopher, theologian. Get your questions ready. Start sending them over. The text line is 877-933-2484. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.